Praise the Lord. It's so good to be here, y'all. Um, love this guy, Ty, the family, the Bells, the soon-to-be Akinrades. <laughs> um, it's, it's wonderful to be here uh, in Brooklyn. I was looking forward to coming up here with my wife, um, but we had a change of plans. Uh, I became a grandfather for the third time last night. Sometime around about uh, about 10 minutes before 11 o'clock, probably when uh, uh, Steph or Clay was, was dropping a three on the Oklahoma City Thunder, little Soren Christian Smith came out of the belly of my daughter Leah. So we're so excited uh, to have her in the world now. That's our third grandchild, first grandson. So very excited for that. Uh, so my wife didn't make it. She uh, will be with Leah today. But my son came on. My help right here, Josh. Very, very happy and blessed to be here at Epiphany Brooklyn. Well, let me pray um, and then we'll go into the word. Amen. Let's do it. Father God, we are grateful and thankful for you today. You have been good and as we've sung about this morning, you have been faithful to us, more faithful than we could recognize or realize. That, that lyric just caught me so deeply that, that the one who was innocent, the innocent one, uh, without sin, without spot, without blemish, perfect in every way, and yet you stood in the way of the wrath of God that was rightly poured out against sin, but it was my sin and our sin and the sins of this world that you took on yourself so that we might have life. We thank you today, Lord. We talk about the weather. We talk about so many things we can thank you for. But foremost and above all is the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that today you'll minister to us through your word and be with us that your name might be etched even deeper into the hearts and the minds of your people. And we pray this in the blessed name of our one Lord, our one God, our great Savior, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. 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 If you have your Bible or your Bible app, browse to John chapter 5 with me today. John chapter 5. I'm going to be kind of talking about the whole chapter, but we're going to focus on about 10 or 12 verses here in the middle of John chapter 5, starting at verse 18. If you've got it, say amen. amen. If you don't got it, say amen anyway. All right, here we go. John chapter 5, starting at verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now 
and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Verse 30. I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I don't know if there's a, a, a trick here to stay away from the, uh, yeah, the, the sound piece. Okay. We'll do whatever we can. Okay. Praise the Lord. Um, Jesus is claiming in these verses, as a matter of fact, not as only is he claiming here, but what what the people have picked up on with Jesus, you see it in verse 18, is it says, here's the accusation against Jesus. He's making himself equal with God. In, in John chapter 5, we come to Jesus after he's just done what is the third of the seven great signs that Jesus does in the gospel of John. So in the, in the second chapter of John at the uh, the wedding of Cana of Galilee, he does his first great miracle, turning the water into wine. In the fourth chapter, he heals the son of a man and he's not even there. Uh, and, and the third great sign is the sign that is done in John chapter 5. There's a man who's sitting beside the pool and he's been there for 38 years. An invalid, he can't walk at all. And Jesus heals this man. And tells him, take up your bed and walk. And it's the Sabbath day. And the religious folks have a problem with that. Why would you do that on the Sabbath? My son and I were, were driving in here today and my son was seeing Brooklyn. We were seeing all the Hasidic Jews walking around. And, and my son, oh, there's another one. How come their hair is like that? You know, and, and a very different look. You don't see a lot of that in Philly. Um, but but. What had happened with, with Jesus, the Jews had an issue with Jesus because why are you going to do this on the Sabbath, Jesus? And they saw that by what he was doing and by what he was saying, that he was indeed claiming to be equal with God. And they were correct about that. They weren't wrong. Look, uh, some of you were up late last night watching a ball game. At least a couple of you were. I know you were. Right? And... and and I, I, my son and I love Steph Curry. I mean, look at my son. That's like Steph Jr. right there. <laughs> Steph Jr. is in the house. Steph has patterned his game after my son's game. I mean, it's, it's for real, y'all. So we love some Steph Curry. And, and sometimes we'll say, oh, he's the GOAT. Greatest of all time, right? He's the GOAT. I never loved Jordan as great as he was. I know he was great, but like, I want Steph to be better, you know? So, so Steph is doing all this incredible stuff. But last night, if you watch the game, it wasn't Steph that kept them in the game. There's another guy made out of clay, right? And he was dropping some shots that were crazy. Sometimes, and I heard someone say, it seemed like before the ball touched his hands, it was already out of his hands. And he was dropping threes all over the place when it looked like Oklahoma City was going to run away with the game. Clay would hit another big three, and they were still in it. And of course, Curry did his thing towards the end of the game. Here's the thing, right? Um, if you can imagine if, if, if Steph took the attitude in that game. Look, I am the man on this team. I don't know about this clay guy. I'm the man. I've got to do it all. He didn't take that attitude at all, right? He said, man, he's hot. Get him the ball. And so, and so the team worked because they weren't vying for a position of greatness. They were working to win a game. Not trying to be greater than the other, working to win a game. Here's, here's the, the Jews were right about Jesus. He was claiming to be equal with God, but they were also wrong about Jesus. What did that mean? 
And so today, as we look at these verses, that is the question that we're going to to look at. What does it mean that Jesus is equal with God? What does that mean? So uh, we're going to jump right in here to verse 19. Look at verse 19. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. That, that to me is a crazy statement. Here's Jesus in, in, in John's gospel. He's initially presented in the prologue of the gospel, chapter one, starting at verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then it's going to tell us that everything that has been created has been created by him and through him. You guys went through Colossians, right? Colossians chapter one, presenting the cosmic Christ, the the, the one who is God over all. And yet here he is in these verses. And he says, the son can do nothing by himself, but only what he sees the father doing. If you look down into verse 30. Jesus says again, I can do nothing on my own. I looked at that verse and it just struck me because one of my favorite verses, it's really a life verse for me, is John 15, 5. And the last part of that verse, uh, Jesus says, uh, he's talking about the vine and and the branches. and, And he says, you can do, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. I get that. Like, I know me a little. And apart from the grace of God, oh, I can do something, but the something I'm going to do is going to be a mess. I don't know if you know you that well, but I know me well enough to know that apart from the impartation of God's power and grace, I will mess things up bad. Just celebrated my 31st anniversary with one woman. Now, now that means there's something about that woman that's special, right? 31 years, but here's the thing. I know I could mess it all up today, tomorrow, any day. If I'm not saying, God, I need your help today. I need your grace to do what's right. I need your power. I need your Holy Spirit. I get that about me. I hope you get that about you, but about Jesus, I can do nothing. Jesus in his state of humiliation, in what theologians call the kenosis, he emptied himself of his divine prerogatives to act on his own as God. Although he was God, he emptied himself of acting out on those prerogatives and said, I will only do the will of my father. So uh, the, the Jews are saying, you're trying to be equal with God. You're changing everything. You're breaking the laws. He, the, the word there in verse 18, when it says um, that he was breaking the Sabbath, the word there for breaking is a word that's used for destroying something. Now, the Sabbath to the Jews is a sacred holy day. It's a reminder of the holiness of God and, and the fact that they are the people of God that comes every seven days, another Sabbath. And it's the great reminder. And here Jesus is seemingly putting it on its head and saying, I don't care about all these traditions, but I'm healing this man who has been uh, an invalid for 38 years and telling him, Take up your bed and walk. Why is it that as you read through the Gospels, Jesus seems to like to do miracles on the Sabbath, right? He's he's upsetting the apple cart. Remember the man with a withered hand in Mark's Gospel? And they're looking at him to see if he's going to heal the man. And Jesus heals the man. And now they want to kill him. Same thing here in this chapter. He healed a man who for 38 years couldn't walk. And their take on that is we need to kill him. It's breaking the Sabbath. But Jesus said, I'm not making this stuff up myself. I'm not doing this on my own. I do what I see the father doing. Look down at verse 39. Verse 39, he says, and, and he's talking to those who are contending with him. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness 
of me. Jesus is saying that, that I'm not making this stuff up now, but not just the New Testament, but from Genesis 1.1, the scripture is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament scripture, it is looking forward to the coming of the Savior. The New Testament has the revealed Savior and points us back to what he has done and also forward to what he is about to do at the end of all things. But make no mistake about it, Jesus says, this is not a new thing I'm doing. I'm not making up something new. This was all prophesied from years ago. Hundreds of years, it's been pointing to me coming on the scene. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but these are that which testify, which bear witness about me. As you read through this gospel and even in this passage, Jesus is always on trial. There's this trial and, and, and they're trying to press him and catch him on charges. And the charge they're laying against him here is you're making yourself equal with God. And he's saying, yes, you got it. I am, but it's not like you think it is. I'm equal with God. But my first point here is he is. So, so if he's equal with God, what does it mean? It means, number one, that he is the submissive and beloved son. See, he's equal with God, but it's not the way they thought. He comes as the submissive and beloved son. If you go on in verse 19, after he says, I can do nothing of my own accord, but only what the father is doing. Then it says, for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. A greater works than these shall he do so that you may marvel. He's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet, y'all. And, and if you look at the progression of John's gospel, these miracles, these signs that he does escalate greater and greater. So there's this escalation of the signs, the last sign being his own death and resurrection. The, the capstone of the signs of God. And so the, the, the father is the one who loves the son. Look, Jesus' equality with the father is not competitive. It's not contradictory, but is submissive to the father. He, Jesus reveals the father through his life and actions. In John chapter eight, as he's being accused again, he's on trial once again, he says these words and it sets the Jews off. He says, uh, before Abraham was, I am calling on the divine name from the Old Testament. In, in, in John chapter 10, he says, I and the Father are one. When Philip is struggling in, in the time of, of Jesus' passion coming during the upper room discourse in John chapter 14, Jesus says, or, or Philip says to Jesus, just show us the Father, it will be enough. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, Jesus is the one who reveals God. You can look anywhere else you want, but Jesus is the one who reveals God. Perfectly, rightly, inerrantly. Question is, where are we looking to find God? I know there's probably a lot of you in here that are committed to the Lord. You've given your life to Christ. There may be some in all kinds of different places here today, but, but even for believers, here's, here's one of my questions or, or one of my thoughts is where are you looking to find God? Where you find your identity, your comfort and your safety is where you're looking to find God, whether it's the true God or whether it's an idol or a false God. So we have all of these things that we may be seeking after in life. It could be through our education. My son has just finished his junior year in college. He's doing well. I praise the Lord for that. But, but the one thing I don't want him to do is make a God out of his education. Make a God out of your career. Make a God out of your family. Uh, I thank God for my wife, but she isn't a substitute Jesus for me. And I know for a fact that I'm no substitute Jesus for her. She would say amen really loud if she was here right now. I'm telling you the truth. I am not lying. So, so 
Where do we find? Sometimes we're in political causes or other causes uh, that may in themselves be righteous and good, but once we separate that from Christ, we're in trouble. Be careful about being so involved, putting all of your life into something that's not directly connected to Christ and his gospel. Be careful with that. John, John warns us in 1 John chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe the spirits. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. We need to narrow our search for God. Narrow it. Look in the face of Christ. What does that mean? How do you do that? He's not here. He's not walking around uh, uh, Bed-Stuy or Flatbush or Queens or he's, he's not. Where is he? He's right here, y'all. Open this book, get into this book, pray as you read this book and say, God, reveal yourself to me. I want to see Jesus in high death. I, I, I want to see him and know him and understand him. In John 17, three, Jesus says these words, this is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Jesus said eternal life is in knowing me. You need to narrow your search. And you need to press in to him. Jesus, first of all, uh, how, what does it mean that Jesus is equal with God? It means he's the submissive and beloved son. Secondly, not only is he that, but he's also, number two, the life-giving judge. He is the life-giving judge. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, he says, For as... The father raises the dead and gives them life. So also the son gives life to whom he will. For as the father raises the dead and gives life. So also the son gives life to whom he will. There's a little word there. The second word of that verse as it could be translated just as in some translations. That's how they Translate it for just as the father raises the dead. That, that little word grammatically is called an, an emphatic marker of similarity. In other words, it's saying these two things I want you to understand are there can be an equal sign right here. In other words, these things are the same. So Jesus says in just the same way that God, Yahweh, as you've learned him and as you've known him through your fathers and the patriarchs and all the years of the people since Abraham and through Moses and the prophets, just as Yahweh gives life to the dead, equal sign me. That's what I do. I give life to the dead. You want to accuse me of being equal with God? I'm equal with God. Just as the father gives life to the dead, so do I give life to the dead. That, that's a, a powerful thing for Jesus to say. Those are powerful words by him. Look at this in verse 40. He says, after, after he says that the scriptures bear witness of me, he says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. It's, it's nowhere else. And yet, you, one of the things you see in, in, in this passage and throughout John's gospel is people close to him and those who are watching him, they think they know him. We know a lot about you, Jesus. There's people in this room, you know a lot about Jesus. You've learned a lot. See, like they knew where he was from, right? In, in John chapter one, uh, one of the disciples uh, is telling another one, oh, we found Jesus. Is he the Christ? And he finds out, well, wait a second, he's from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? 
He, he's from, y'all might say he's from Philly. Don't, don't mess with Philly, y'all. But, but, but the, the thought is, can anything, we know where he's from. In another place, they say, well, you know what? We know where he's from, but we know that the Christ comes from Bethlehem. So he can't be the one. Can he, can he really, we know where he comes from. In another place, they, they know his mama. They know his mama. Again, in John chapter 8, when they're going uh, toe-to-toe with Jesus, and they want to slam Jesus, at one point they say, because Jesus is saying, you're of your father, the devil, and, he sa- and they say to Jesus, we were not born illegitimately. What are they saying? They're saying, Jesus, we heard about you. We heard about your mama and your daddy, and they weren't even together. And somehow you came along. What's up with you, Jesus? We're not illegitimate children. We know about you, Jesus. We know a lot of stuff. In John chapter 9, after he heals a man who is born blind, another one of the signs of John's gospel, and the the, the Pharisees are, are talking with the man who was born blind, who now can see, they say, well, we know that this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. They know Jesus. They know he has to be a sinner. He's again, he's doing these things on the Sabbath, so he must be a sinner. They know a lot about Jesus. But and and, and the reality is sometimes so do we. And we come away with what I would call familiarity bias. We've made Jesus so much our buddy and our best friend and the one that we hang with that we forgot that he is the almighty Lord of the universe. He is the creator, the redeemer. He is God almighty familiarity bias. And we have a problem with that. So uh, here's the thing. Jesus in Jesus uh, life is wrapped up in him. He is the one who gives life. Where do we find life? Sometimes we find life in guilty pleasures of life. Sometimes we find it in addictions. Look, if you're from Philly, you may be finding life in a cheesesteak or in a soft pretzel with a little mustard on it or perhaps some water ice, not water ice. It's water ice in Philly. If you're from New York, you might be finding life in a coal oven pizza or in cheesecake, or in chicken and waffles. I just had something they fed us before we came in here, and I felt loved and disposable at the same time because it was a biscuit with gravy all over it and chicken on it and eggs, and it was so good. But I felt like if I continue to eat this, I might not be here long. I might be with Jesus like really soon. It's so good, but I could feel my arteries clogging even as I ate that thing. But we, we find life in a lot of places, y'all. But Jesus said, life is wrapped up in me. Are you looking to him for life? Are you looking exclusively to Jesus Christ for life? And then he says in verse 22, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. All judgment. So when we, 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 we simply think of Jesus as best buddy, road dog, my pal, my homie. He's more than that, y'all. He is the judge of all things. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the one who will be with you in your weakness and in your even in your sin and in your struggle. But he is also the one who judges all things. Remember who Jesus is. He is the life giving judge. And then lastly, not only is he the submissive and beloved son and the life-giving judge. But lastly, he is the one to whom honor is due. Look at verse 23 again. We'll start in verse 22. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Look at this. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father Who sent him? Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him again. We have just as in verse 33, 
all that may honor the, the son just as in the same way, equal sign, emphatic marker of similarity there. So you must honor the son as you honor the father, he says. To honor is to show high regard for someone, to revere them. Uh, to, to show honor is to recognize the one as uh, greater than you. And in this case, not only greater than you, but the one who is above all. The honor that you show to Jesus is equivalent, he says, to the honor that you've shown Yahweh. He is the one true and living God. So all honor is due to him. In, in John 8, again, as they're coming at Jesus' neck, at one point, they accuse Jesus of two things. They say, you are a Samaritan, which he wasn't. But in John chapter 4, he was with a Samaritan woman, right? So they say, you're a Samaritan, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. You're a Samaritan, and you have a demon. Look, it's like they're, they're doing the dozens with Jesus. And they say, your mama wears army boots, you know, they're just, they're just after, they're like, what can I say to put Jesus down and to make him look bad? And Jesus' response to that in John 8, 49 is, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Jesus says here, and the scripture is clear, that God cannot be honored by us unless we honor the Son. We must honor Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever, has, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. See, we've got to be careful because every time we start talking loose about God, any kind of way. Whenever I hear that term, you know, where the man upstairs, he's been really good to me. I'm like, what floor are we on? The man upstairs. Who's the man upstairs? Uh, we talk about, you know, the force or people talk about mother nature. Um, they talk about whether well, the law of the universe or the great spirit, all these kind of things. And even in other religious traditions, like Allah is not the God of the Bible. I hope you all know that. Right. Allah is not the God of the Bible. He is uh, uh, totally different. The Quran puts forth an idea of God that has very little to do and contradicts at many points the God of this book, the Bible, and Jesus Christ and what it says in particular about Jesus Christ. We won't go into it, but, but that's a reality. Look, you can honor your ancestors, but don't worship them. They're not God and they can't do anything for you now. The ancestors that have passed on, we worship the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ, and we honor him and him alone. Look, even for believers right now, we, we, we miss God even if we use some of the right words. If we're honoring Yahweh, Jehovah the creator, or even if we say the Lord, if we're disconnecting that from the person of Jesus Christ. So just down the street, the world headquarters, right, for the Jehovah Witnesses is here. Uh, we do a lot of mission work in Africa, in a country called Malawi, in southern Africa. And it's amazing the influence of Jehovah Witness doctrine over there, even though I don't believe there's a lot of Jehovah Witnesses, but they are a literature-based evangelistic group, right? So they produce a lot of paper. And if you go into an African village, people don't see much paper like that. And you know the Jehovah Witness tracks in their little books, and they're so colorful, and everybody's always happy in them, right? And so you can go into a little mud hut in the, in the middle of Africa, and on the wall, you can see immediately that's a Jehovah Witness picture. And so when we've gone over there and talked to people, there's a great deal of confusion about basic doctrine, even by people who are in the church. The first time we went there, people were astonished by the fact that Jesus was God. These were the Christians there. How can he be God? 
See, we, we've got to be careful as we talk about God in different ways that it must come back to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's impossible to honor God unless you're honoring Jesus. How do we honor him? Look at verse 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, number one, hears my word and number two, believes in him who sent me has eternal life. There's two things here. First of all, you honor him by hearing his word. He says, you need to hear my word. There's an emphatic there, not just hear the word of God, but hear my word, Jesus says, hear my word. Now, look, we all listen different ways. I have at least three ways that we can listen and that I listen sometimes. Sometimes we can be a preoccupied listener. Sometimes we can be a passive listener and sometimes we can be an active listener. What does that mean? Let me give you an example. My wife may be downstairs and this doesn't happen much, but it happens once in a while. And she may just yell up the stairs or say up the stairs, sweetie, dinner's ready. If I'm a preoccupied listener, perhaps it's late in the Sunday afternoon after a long day of worshiping the Lord and being with the saints and getting it in with God. And now the Philadelphia Eagles are playing football and it's the fourth quarter of the game and they're six points behind the Giants and they're, they're, they're driving up the field and my wife yells up the stairs, sweetie, dinner's ready. I'm a preoccupied listener. I may say something. I may say, okay, sweetie, I may say that, but that's just like that. That is just a reaction that has nothing to do with anything actually processing in my brain, right? I'm just saying what I'm just responding, but I'm not even thinking about the response because I am preoccupied with something else. And so that's what that looks like. A passive listener. My wife yells up. It's not Sunday, but it's Tuesday, let's say. She yells up the stairs, sweetie, dinner's ready. Here's what she doesn't know. On my way home from work that day, I, I, I saw a sign at the checkers. And there was, it was an evil sign. And there was, there was cheese like dripping off of this burger. And there was these fries and, and that had stuff all over them. Checkers fries, you know. And, and, and they were saying, Larry, Larry, come and get me. And I stopped by the checkers on the way home. And so when my wife yells up for dinner, uh, I'm not really thinking about dinner that much because I'm already kind of full. Right. So I'm a I'm a passive listener. It doesn't mean that much to me. But but if I'm hungry, it kind of doesn't matter what I'm doing. If, if I'm famished and my wife says, sweetie. I'm like, what? What? Is dinner ready? <laughs> oh, gosh. Where do I go? I'm down there in a second, right? I jump down the stairs and I'm, I'm there. I'm an active listener. I'm, I can't wait to hear those words. How do you listen to Jesus? I come to church every Sunday or at least twice a month. That's pretty good. Okay. All right. Well, um, how, how do you listen to Jesus? Look, some of you are passive or preoccupied listeners to Jesus. There, there, in other words, there are many things in your life that are competing for your attention. They're competing for your affection. They're competing for your time. And you have all these things going on and Jesus is wooing you and he's calling out to you. But you, you may react in a certain way on the outside, but your heart is not there. There's no intention to get up and move. There's no intention to walk in obedience. It's just like, yup, okay, I got it. I heard that. Pastor Brandon, great, great sermon, man. But there's nothing that stirs you from the inside. You're a preoccupied listener. Listen, you may be a passive hearer. You're satisfied with a lot of things in life. Life is pretty good right now. Now, if that's you, you know and I know, just give it a few minutes because life is going to get hard at some point in time. But sometimes we can get way too satisfied with the things of the world. John says in 1 John 2, love not the world, nor the things of the world for all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, 
the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life is not from God. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But he that does the will of God will abide forever. God is calling to us, are you satiated? Are you no longer hungry and thirsty for the only one who can give life? We need to be careful that we get so full on so many things and yet there's little room left for Jesus. You're satiated and all of these things. Brothers and sisters, look, if that's you, if you are the preoccupied one, I pray that you'll understand you've got to cut back some things from your life. Look, I know Y'all live in the Big Apple. My wife, my, my son and I were driving in here this morning, and when, it happens whenever I drive into, uh, into New York. We're from Philly. Philly's like the fourth largest city in the country, right? But when you drive into New York, you feel like I'm from some little small town in Idaho because this city swallows you up. It's, it's massive in every way. I know that. But look, you need to fight for your life. You can't be preoccupied with everything and anything and let the city rule you and let, and let institutions rule you and let everything rule you. And yet you don't have any time to be with Jesus. Let me tell you, you have time to be with Jesus in your life. But you won't find that time. You will need to make that time. You won't find it. It's not on your calendar until you put it there and make a commitment to it. You've got to spend time with him. If you're preoccupied, you need to change your priorities. Not only that, if you are. If you're a passive listener. You, you need to. You need to ask God to stir up your affection for Christ. Yeah, I, a, does a little bit of Jesus satisfy you? Or do you need a big, big meal? Do you need a continual communion with the one who gives life? Or do you get a little hit on Sunday and you're good for the rest of the week? Listen, if you're easily satiated by your time with Jesus... You need to begin to set up some specific time to be with him and stick with that. If you're a passive hearer, you need to understand sometimes we're satiated because we think that we're pretty good and, and things are all right in my life. You need to look in the mirror of God's word and see just how desperate you, how desperately you need Jesus today and tomorrow and the next day. You are, whether you know it or not, in desperate need of connection with Jesus every day of your life. And we go about as if we can be unplugged and we're good. Look, if you're a passive hearer, you need to understand you need Jesus desperately. Push away from other things to the only one who can heal and deliver you. Last piece here, honor is not only shown by hearing the word, but also by believing in the son's word. Verse 24, it's honor is shown as we believe in him. He says, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Believes him who sent me. The word believe is a rigged word in the Bible. It's not simply giving a mental assent to something that I know. Yup, that's true. That's true. And that's true. Good. I believe. As a matter of fact, if you read through this book uh, of, of John, you'll see time after time people believed but weren't saved yet. Right. And Jesus challenged them. They believed, but they didn't have saving belief in him. Uh, one definition from the Greek word of believing is to entrust oneself to an entity in complete confidence, to believe in or to trust with the implication of total commitment to the one who's trusted. So, so believing is not just saying, yup, I know he died on a cross. Yup, I know this happened. Check, 
check, check, check. But believing is saying, because I believe this, I give my whole heart. I give my whole life. I give myself over to you as Lord and Savior. And I kneel at your feet and worship you and desire to obey you with my whole life. That's what it means. James puts it this way. James 1.22, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. John put it this way in John 15. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. John 8.52 says it this way. If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. This isn't legalism. Legalism says you do all these things to earn God's love. The gospel says God has given you his love through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's forgiven you of sin. He's washed you clean. He's put his spirit in you and he calls you to a life of faith and obedience. That's the gospel. So, so legalism uh, is, is earning salvation. But this is the alternate reality of a changed heart what the Bible calls a regenerate heart at the deepest part of who you are, although you may fail and struggle consistently, but the deepest part of who you are, you desire to honor God and walk with Jesus. Look, we miss honoring Christ in a lot of ways. Sometimes it's just the casual nature of our relationship with him. Sometimes it's putting all these other goals, my school goals, my family goals, my material goals, my career goals. We have all these goals. What are your goals for Jesus in your life? Are those goals at the top? Are those goals central to who you are? Or are all these other goals what rule you? Sometimes we just allow sin to be a master over us. Say, I can't help it. Well, God has given you his Holy Spirit. Look, we're living in crazy times in this day and age. And you hear more and more about LGBTQI, right? And, and all this going on there. But look, I would want to add one more thing to that. It's getting longer and longer. I would make it H-L-B-G-T-Q-I. Um, the H is for heterosexual. What am I saying in that? Everyone in that list is broken. And everyone in that list struggles with walking with God in purity in their sexual identity. So whether that is struggling with same sex attraction or whether it is dealing with heterosexual attraction, you're broken. You're deeply broken and you need Jesus help. That's why we don't. When you understand who you are in Christ, you will never look down on another soul because you understand that you're in desperate need. Whether you're heterosexual, same sex attracted, no matter what it is, you are in need of help. And we need God's help to walk in purity. That's true of everyone. I know I'm a little bit over time, so let me finish up. It could be we dishonor Christ by treating Jesus as if he's a magician instead of the Lord to be worshiped. When we're in trouble, when we're in a jam, we call on his name. And I heard somebody say, if you're saying Jesus name is going to happen, that's a magician. That's not the Lord of the universe that you're calling on. And sometimes we dishonor Christ because when life gets, when we're in difficult places, watch yourself. When being a Christian becomes inconvenient or when calling on the name of Christ and standing up for him becomes something that will label you as weird or different. What do you do? It's time to honor Christ and say not to be a jerk, not to be a fool, but to be someone who is not ashamed of the gospel. As Paul says in Romans one, for it is the power of God and salvation for all who believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We stand on the truth of the gospel and don't waver from it. That is honoring Christ. That's how we honor Christ. Look. How is Jesus God? He's God because he is the submissive and beloved son. He is the life giving judge. He is the one to whom all honor is due. He's the only way to rightly know God. And when you know him and press into him, your life will never be the same. Let me close with this. 
This is a story from that's found in Matthew, Mark and Luke. It's the story of the woman who had an issue of blood. So for 12 years, she was suffering uh, and bleeding. And as a woman in first century uh, Palestine, a, a Jew, that would mean that she was unclean and needed to stay outside of the community and was not allowed to touch anyone. Can you imagine that for 12 years? that anyone else you touched would now be considered unclean. And here was this woman hearing about Jesus. And as she hears about him, she says, I have to touch just the hem of his garment. And the, 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 the Bible says there's a throng of people around Jesus. There's a, a crowd, but she sees him and says, I have to touch the hem of his garment. And she makes her way through the crowd, bumping into people left and right all over the place. And she touches Jesus. Immediately she's healed. Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? His disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? There's people all around you. That's a crazy question, Jesus. But he says, but power has gone out from me. And the woman realizes that Jesus knows. And this is what it says. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. And listen to this. And declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched Jesus. And how she had been immediately healed. What did she do? She said, I got nothing more to hide. I'm going to put it all. She didn't have to say all of what she was going through, but she did because she realized she had touched the only one who could heal her and give her life. And she touched Jesus and confessed all of it to this crowd of people. Listen, are you that hungry for Jesus? Do you know that you need to touch the hem of his garment? Do you know that you need daily, constant, deep contact with the only one who can give you life. Jesus is the equal of God. He's not curtain number two. He's not the little God, but he is curtain number one. He is the only door through which you will see God and know him and be saved by him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that in Jesus We have a sure and lasting hope. The only one who can save, heal, and deliver. No other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So, Lord, I pray that uh, as your word has gone out today, that it would find deep root in the hearts of everyone gathered here. That they would know you, love you, grow in you. And Lord, that we would become more and more like you by your grace and power through the gospel. We pray it all in Jesus name. Amen.